long day I got a lot to say It feels like I'm carrying a two-ton weight I go see a friend Hello, I'm Monsignor Patrick Winslow. And I am Father Matthew Kauth. And we are speaking from the rooftop. A podcast brought to you by 10 Books, in which we invite you to join our conversation out here in the open air. Where we look out upon the world around us from the rooftop of the church and share with you what we see. Makes me Hello there, Father Kauth, how are you? I am well, it's good to be back. I know, you've been away all summer. Uh, so how many weeks of vacation do you get a year? Well, since you're technically um, in charge of that in the diocese, um, I'm not going to tell you. <laughs> in, in truth, um, I, did, I was away for a week and I think you're about ready to head off a, on a vacation. I yourself. am, I am, but, but uh, it's, it's nice actually because you know, we both work really hard throughout the year and the pockets and opportunities to be able to, to be with family and friends, it, it's just so necessary, it's so mm. important. The summer is a great time for that. It is a fantastic time. I, I live a, in such a large way on an academic schedule. Yeah. Um, but even in parishes, it's typical that parish life sort of slows down because people are taking their kids, they're not in school, and they're taking vacations and various things. But that's not the only reason that we have been absent for a little while, but the contrary, um, because we were trying to set up a new system, kind of listening to some of our uh, constituents, as it were. As that's right. The quality of, uh, of these uh, podcasts. To our surprise, to, to our people surprise. were very interested in hearing us chat. So, um, of course, we've always been regaled by our own conversations, but that's kind of the, that kind of been the end of it, right? So, um, yeah, so we decided that it would be important for us to work with someone so as to make these more available because we didn't know what we were doing. Uh, I think we were just kind of getting the word out there by sharing links vis-a-vis email or maybe like a Facebook page or something. But there are proper podcast directories which is new to us. And in fact, I think we've been both on a learning curve with this, that there's like even on an Apple phone or an Android, you can tap the the app for podcasts and then they have their own directories. And so um, you have to apply to get into their directory. But once you get in those directories, you become discoverable. Mm-hmm. You, know, you become listed, if you will. Um, and therefore people can find you. Mm-hmm. Well, we weren't there. So we needed help. I didn't help. know there was a there. I, I didn't know there was a there there either. So um, we needed help and uh, we appealed to some dear friends of ours uh, who own a Catholic company here in Charlotte. If you are a Catholic, it's likely you have run into this company at some point. Um, the great Tan Books, which has a very long history, but it was, um, it was purchased after some difficulties that they had by a local company. Of course, you have probably also heard if you're from the Charlotte Diocese of Goodwill Publishing and St. Benedict Press, Saint Benedict Press and Catholic they, Scripture they Study, 10, 10 books. And the, the beauty of that is we have all of this incredible resource in our own backyard. So Father Winslow and I have teamed up with them on a number of occasions and done various projects. And this is yet one more venture to kind of work together to be able to, to spread the gospel and to find ways in which to uh, elevate person's spiritual lives, persons that we can't necessarily touch by an in-person or, or in-situ situation where ultimately they're not hearing the voices 
um, live, as it were, but yeah. this is a new avenue that we're trying to, to to cultivate. So they basically promised to help take care of all of the things that we don't know. Exactly. And uh, they supplied us with some good equipment. So hopefully if you had a little uh, challenge in the past with respect to our audio equipment or if we just didn't have the best quality, uh, all of that should be fixed. And um, they're, they're just taking care of us in that regard. So it's been a really nice uh, mutually assisting relationship. But of course, they're dear family. I mean, that family, the family that right, owns right, Tambo, right. the Gallagher family, they're just wonderful. And uh, we've been close to them over the years. And they're such a, a strong and wonderful influence in the Diocese of Charlotte. So um, it's just so easy to work with them because they're friends. That's right. So sorry for the hiatus, um, but we're, we're back on now. And hopefully it'll be, um, facilitate a greater ease with finding these and other great Exactly. Podcasts. You know, because my mom would ask me, have you done another one? Because um, she obviously doesn't have enough time with me on the phone, so she needs to hear. So there should be no, and just joking. But she said, "Have you done another one?" And I would say, "I think we did. I don't know where to find it." So yeah. it's bad if you and I can't tell people where to find sure, it. Sure, sure. Uh, and that's kind of where we were. Yeah. So uh, on the other hand, uh, we had some ordinations here in the Diocese of Charlotte, and some folks would come up to us and say, "Hey, I've been listening to that podcast you've been doing with Father Cowth, or something along those lines," and they were just so positive about it we it was nice to hear that feedback and and we thought wow this is really a worthwhile effort absolutely and so we wanted to make sure that we could do it well absolutely. and make it easily accessible so here we go here we go yeah. speaking of ordinations we were blessed to have uh, two fine young priests that were ordained and three transitional deacons and we're coming up on a stage in the life of the diocese here in charlotte where we're going to be having seven eight nine ten ordinations a year so um, thank you for all of your prayers for vocations. The Lord is certainly answering them, and the fostering of those vocations is the responsibility of each person in the diocese and across the globe in the one Catholic Church. However, Father, what has gone on since we've last uh, touched base? Well, we haven't seen each other in a while. As it so happened, around the ordination time, on that Friday of the Feast of the Sacred Heart, mm. which ordinarily would have been the nativity of John the Baptist, who leapt in his mother's womb for joy, at the presence of his Savior, Roe v. Wade was overturned. Yes. And you can't, you really can't escape the liturgical significance. Sacred Heart of Jesus, the next day the Immaculate Heart of Mary, uh, John the Baptist in the womb. So we need to explain that. So every year, the Feast of the Sacred Heart of Jesus will, be, will fall on a Friday. So it's not tied to a date, but rather it's a day, so many days after Easter. Mm-hmm. And it's a Friday. And then the following day after the Sacred Heart is the Immaculate Heart of Mary. And so um, sometimes if, if there's a feast day uh, other than the Sacred Heart that it falls on that Friday, it, that feast day gets bumped. And so this past year, it would have been the Nativity of John the Baptist. Yes. So uh, next year, for example, no doubt that date will fall not on a Friday of the Sacred Heart, but some other date. So if you follow the anniversary of the date, it will be the Beast Nativity of John the Baptist in the womb of his mother uh, being born. And then if you follow the liturgical date, it's always going to be a Friday of the Sacred Heart of Jesus, followed by the Immaculate Heart of Mary. Put it all together, and those of us who have faith, we see a type of return address on this beautiful gift. Mm. Uh, the fingerprints of uh, the heavenly court are all over it. John the Baptist in the womb, uh, the Virgin Mary, the Sacred Heart of Jesus. 
it's very difficult for someone who's been working for poor life activity and life of the church not to see the fingerprints of divine providence on the date in which all this unfolded. Absolutely. I don't, I don't know about you, but there are certain dates, I suppose, in everyone's life that stick out as monumental, not knowing what is going to happen in the wash or the fallout of such um, a dam being broken, nor do we know about this one, since it's not like the entire thing is over. It's not as if the pro-life cause has sort of won or that people have simply woken up to the reality. This is a significant move, but it's not obviously um, anything more than one more move in the ultimate battle for a proper understanding of the human person and of life. But I remember as a kid, I was, I think I was in second grade, and, and uh, Sister Celeste pulled us out of class, um, which he never did mm. back in the day. Mm-hmm. And she brought us over to the convent um, to watch the shuttle take off. Mm. And it was... Oh, is it was the Challenger? It was the Challenger. And I remember thinking how significant that was. The only other time she did that was when John Paul II was elected mm. and brought us over to watch that. And for me, because I have some Polish background, my, my Polish grandfather called, and, and I didn't know the significance of this, but mm. since it been only Italians for so long, I remember my grandfather saying, calling me up and saying, where's your mother? We're in. I mean, the Polish are in. So, um, <laughs> Get ready. We're going over for dinner. Yeah. <laughs> but those momentous events in history that you realize a shift has taken place, but you don't yet recognize the import of the shift. Mm. I, so this, this, in this occasion, um, I was in class with a bunch of other students and, and I had my phone on me because I was sort of in charge of the next thing that was supposed to happen and I was waiting for a text message to, to facilitate that and the text message came in but it wasn't from the other teacher, it was from uh, my mother hmm. who texted me saying that Roe v. Wade was overturned. And I just stood there and we were in Latin class, so we weren't speaking English. We were only speaking in Latin, and I wasn't sure how to express myself <laughs> in Latin about this. So I just stopped, and I looked at them, and I said, I have great news in Latin, because you know, it wasn't hard to say that. But then I just stopped speaking Latin and said, we have to go to the chapel. And they said, what, what happened? And when I told them, we went upstairs, and we all prayed, and then we sang the Te Deum and rang the bell. Um, but I had this wash come over me such an emotional wash that I didn't realize would happen simply because I was born in 1973, right? The very year Roe v. Wade was in, mm. instantiated and, and I didn't realize that all of my life has been under that shadow. It just felt like such a, for those of us who have labored on that front, like such an incredible gift from God, especially when we're, I think, rather accustomed as of late to taking hits and experiencing losses. It was in some ways looked for because of that leak, but I don't know that anyone really thought it would happen. Mm. Yeah, you know, um, it really is profound and significant. I'm reminded of uh, Ronald Reagan's pithy but yet poignant phrase. Is He said, as only he could say, I've noticed that all of those in support of legalized abortion have already been born. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's a great line. I mean, it just kind of highlights yeah. for you what we're talking about. It's almost a Chestertonian line. It is. It just turns the whole thing upside down and says, how can you see this any other way? That this is a civil rights issue. This is a class of human persons that are not protected by law. Now, the the abortion question across the board has so many different frontiers. Um, We can talk about the legal landscape. We can talk about the social landscape. We can talk about the moral landscape. Um, You can talk about 
difficulties and challenges with the pregnancies. I mean, there's so many different frontiers. Uh, I remember one time I was introduced to a, a, a new frontier to the pro-life cause when I was first ordained. Um, a woman came up to me after I preached on the topic of abortion, and she said, Father, she said, I agree with everything you said, and you said it very well. She says, but you missed something. I said, what did I miss? She said, where are the men? Women don't get pregnant alone. And I said, you're absolutely right. Mm. Where are they? Mm -hmm. uh, so there's a whole another frontier there about the responsibility of men um, and them shrugging off any responsibility. And it's a real cop-out uh, you know, for women to say, well, it's her choice. Of course. But that's a cop-out. Of course. You know, um, so there's so many different frontiers to talk about this issue. Uh, so many, I just say frontiers, so many different fronts. And the legal landscape is only one. Yes. And I'm afraid sometimes we forget that because we do do a lot of advocacy with respect to having just laws to protect the most innocent among us. But that doesn't mean there's a victory. Right. Just because we were able to uh, get the decision Roe v. Wade overturned. So what does that mean? I'm sure everyone has processed this by now. But in short, it just returns the topic to the voting electorate. It doesn't say whether or not abortion will be legal. It just simply says the electorate, the electorate can vote um, by way of their representatives laws to restrict or to make free the act of an abortion. So it's not exactly a big victory in the sense that uh, if you're in a state or in a place where everyone's going to vote to have legalized abortion until the moment the head exits the womb, that's not much of a victory in that region. But in other areas uh, where you start to um, reduce the time frame, you get closer and closer to providing protection for the most innocent and vulnerable among us. And the way I see it, and I'll punt it over to you because I know I'm monologuing at the moment. No, no, no. I... But the way I see it is that uh, when, when abortion was considered to be protected by a constitutional provision of a right to privacy, then it's a bit like having the ball in your own end zone. You can't get out of it. You're stuck there. Mm. Um, by unshackling it from the U.S. Constitution and saying, actually, abortion is not in the U.S. Constitution, um, and it's a, it's, it's, a, it's a challenging thing to go from a presumed right of privacy of illegal search and seizures Absolutely. to get to um, not affording the protection of an unborn child um, under the, the clause of some sort of medical privacy for a woman, right. ignoring the fact that there's another person involved. Right. Um, so all that does is it gets us out of our end zone. It puts us on the 10-yard line. That means we got about 90 more yards to go. Yeah. The way I see it, the other end that is to get into the other end zone is a constitutional protection for the unborn. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, and there's a lot of field ahead of us. Which, of course, was the case for the majority of our history, right? Yeah. Um, and this is something that Christianity brought to the world, right? I mean, this is not... You think about classic um, instantiations of democracy in the past, in the history, um, but there was certainly the right of the paterfamilias to, to be able to destroy any child he didn't think worthy of becoming part of the family as soon as it came out of the womb, or even before, um, should those uh, possibilities arise. But the, 
the thing that strikes me about this move now, whether it's 10 or 20 yard line or better field position in terms of the analogy, I think you're right because whatever the law does say, I mean, law is, a, is classically an ordinance of reason. And so what it does on the minds of people is say, enough people have said this, that it's now law. Um, I'm certainly convinced that we're seeing this on the level of the use of marijuana, et cetera, et cetera, right? That now that it's legal, mm-hmm. therefore it's 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 good thing to do. Um, right. This this um, identification legal means moral. Legal means moral, and we, it's hard for us to get around that, especially in the United or States, ethical. because we're yeah. a massively litigious society. But that being said, I think with better field position, without that being stuck in your own end zone and having nowhere to back up to be able to throw to 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 use the analogy or to or to hand off the ball, et cetera. Um, you're, you're given some space, and the space that we're given fundamentally is is to win the moral realm. Mm-hmm. And if you have the electorate that begins to see, um, as we have made massive progress, I think, in the last 20 years, of getting persons to see that there is no real difference between the simple time and place of a baby in a womb. Now, what's the difference when the baby's out? Time and place. Right, that's, that's it. Those are accidental qualities. Those aren't substantial qualities. That being seen with all the kinds of science we have relative to being able to see the, the gestation of a child, um, of hard science relative to the, the composition of this baby, etc. And I think that the other side, the opposing side, um, knows this, right? So they're beginning their work on beginning to get it uh, in the minds of people that even postpartum, it's fine to kill a child. That's their new frontier, and they, they're going to have to go that route to some degree unless they want to be indefensible relative to their own logic because science isn't supporting them on this one. And I would say I think that those are a minority, but the zealots sure. for, for the cause. Sure, definitely, to be sure. Abortion. I think the majority of people that do support some period for the extermination of a child or the termination of a child um, is out of a sympathy for a mother or a couple who find themselves with a challenging pregnancy. And you see that because oftentimes they use these uh, sympathetic circumstances, um, the potential death of the mother, right, or, right, uh, right. You know, rape and incest and things they like that. They go to those difficult so situations. So it's, it's an appeal of sympathy for, uh, for a mother or a couple. And I get it because... I too wish I could go back for their sake and unimpregnate. Yeah. If we could only roll back the hands of time and bring us to that moment before a child was conceived, I would be willing to crank that wheel for you uh, in the sense that, that it, would, it wouldn't have happened. But we can't. Yeah. We don't have that option. No fault that we, that we commit or no sin that we commit, no challenging circumstance in which we find ourselves do we have the option of rolling back the hands of time? I do think people consider um, abortion as a, especially in like the first trimester, is a second chance to roll back the hands of time right. to make right. it so it didn't happen. Right. Um, it's but that's an insidious lie because you're you, you know that uh, that's already happened. Right. You just become the mother of a dead baby, a father it. of a dead baby. Yeah. Especially with the abortion pill, I think you know going back to a point you made earlier about quote-unquote, where are the men from the woman that was listening to your homily. Um, it is interesting that what we have 
come to expect out of men now, where they can't be superheroes anymore, they can't be heroes at all, they can't be strong, anything a man does is sort of conceived by the popular media as Mm -hmm. toxic. Um, One of the things that that is the proper role, obviously, of a man, which he's not really allowed to do, and maybe he's not allowed to do it now because he failed in doing so. Um, One of the things we try to teach the men is that one of the most important things you can ever say to a woman, frankly, is no. And that's that's a hard thing to say. And so, fin- let me hear me out here before anyone I was gets to say, say you're going to get some hate, man. Right? But it's that's right. I'm used to being the favored one. It's <laughs> <laughs> it's obviously men and women are despite despite the the common narrative now they're they're, they're so wonderfully different in so many ways. Very obviously the same nature, the same. Um, reality, but it's but but different for a reason, and those differences aid each other in seeing things. And there are times in which, um, given the vicissitudes of life, that one of the persons might not see something as clearly. And so that word "no" comes in when you have a better clarity on something that might hurt her. And that's the one time I don't <coughs> see men speaking up to say no, is when they see something that a mother, a sister, a girlfriend, a wife might not see as clearly and him to be, to, to be able to say at the risk of making her upset with him no because this isn't good for you and to your point imagine imagine if a girl um, finds herself pregnant obviously not planning it etc and instead of giving her the pass because it's it's just a tacit way of saying i'm simply supporting her yeah right but you're just as much out. a parent right yeah. Instead of doing that, if the young man says, I'm not leaving you, I don't know the answer. I don't marriage know. may not be the marriage answer. Marriage might, 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 might not be the answer. But I'm but shouldering I my responsibility. And I am here with you. And we will find it together, yeah. step by step, day by day, and we'll figure it out together. Um, that's a different way of saying, um, to say yes to something glorious, because you're saying no to the out that is the lie of I can roll back the hands of time. Exactly. And, you know, I don't know about you, if you have any adopted members in your family. But for me, my my grandmother, she was adopted as a, as a child, as an infant um, back in probably the 1920s. Mm. And uh, she was born of an Italian immigrant, a young couple. I don't even know if they were married or not. I really don't know the details. But she and her brother were very quickly given up to adoption. She was the younger Absolutely. of the two. Um, and her adoptive parents, who she, she knew as her mother and father, they adored her. And I have, my mother has life. My mother's sister has life. My cousins have life. Uh, my brothers and sisters have life. Because this little baby was adopted. Absolutely. And um, I'm sure it's not the only person in my family uh, who's been adopted or who's been taken in. And I'm grateful. Right. Uh, just utterly grateful. And perhaps she said no. The mother said, no, I will not do this. Perhaps someone else stepped in and said, no, don't do this. But you got to say yes for the no. Mm-hmm. But you see this on every every level of human interaction. I mean, how many times have you been in a situation with your siblings um, or your mother where you've seen that your your sisters or your, your mother see something um, that the dad doesn't see yeah, and says, I know you want to do this. I know you're gung-ho about it. You're passionate about it, but tap the brakes. 
No, here's a way we can get this done. That back and forth we need from each other. It's the responsibility of actually being male and female. Yeah, in fact, I think um, my mom about 10 times a day wants to say that to my father. (laughs) (laughs) No, no, no. no. Tap the brakes. Right, and those no's are important for us. I need them in my life all the time. Um, but that's that's the problem now that's been that's been foisted upon us with this quote unquote toxic masculinity campaign is that men don't feel they are capable any longer of saying no if they see something that's going to damage the one that they love, hmm. and that but but loving them is just supporting whatever they want to do, which isn't friendship at all at any level, nor is it love, frankly. Right. No, it's it's true. It, it goes vice. I mean, it, go, it goes vice versa. I mean. It, it, in both sides of the Absolutely. equation, Absolutely. Um, where uh, you know, women need to call out the men, Absolutely. and the men need to call out the women, and bringing their unique gifts and perspectives to bear to forge a good path. Right. Uh, that is the benefit. I mean, just look at, for example, look at the, the analogy. Here we are with analogies, but you and I having a conversation. Now, you and I have a lot in common. Um, with respect to our vocational path. Uh, we have a lot in common in terms of common history. Um, but the benefit of having this conversation or conversations like these time and time and time again is there is still a unique perspective. Right. And I gain from that because I can't see what I don't see. Right. And uh, I think that's really you know what you're, what you're saying in terms of couples... Uh, and men and women helping each other along the way. Yes, uh, being able to being able to arise, you know, sort of rise to the occasion, and being able to offer strength where the other one feels weak, or be right. able to uh, offer hope where the other one feels despair. Uh, this is a beautiful complementarity uh, that's that's built in ideally uh, in a situation of a of a couple preparing for marriage or being married. But also, it's the same thing with respect to friends. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and this is actually people won't don't know this, but that I'm speaking to a man who has a doctorate in friendship. So Father Cow, it's kind of scary. Yeah. So what I say about that is, so Father Cow has a doctorate, a moral, a moral theology doctorate, and his thesis is dealing with uh, Saint Thomas Aquinas and friendship. Hmm. Um, so what I've learned from that is, those who do can and those who can't teach. And I think then uh, Father Gab is in that, cat, that ladder. I teach. <laughs> I'm well, in the former. Well, it's funny you say that. I was just talking to a priest friend with whom I was doing some hiking last week. And, and I remember saying to him in one of our first nights, because we were, the way, the way we do a, a vacation basically is we, we both grab whatever philosophy books we want to read theology books and we read them during the course of the day when you take a hike and stop or something and then in the evening kind of go through it because I can't as you say I, can, I can't see what I can't see and and only thinking about the text myself I'm at least dialoguing with the the author but I'm still really just talking to myself yeah. and so having to articulate those things and have them challenged a little bit or help each other to, to kind of grapple and climb up was very helpful but I turned the tables on him at one point and he's, he's younger than I am but um, I turned the tables and I said, now what about this sort of sane thing with respect to friendship? I mean, ultimately, um, what doesn't help me is if you don't reflect back to me, um, quite frankly, my bad behavior. I mean, I, I should see it. Like, you should, you should tap the brakes on me sometimes because we work together. And if you see something that I'm doing relative to 
um, the seminarians or the sisters or the lay faithful that work with us, and you think, that doesn't come off exactly as he would want that to come off with. Is that his intention? Mm -hmm. um, give, give me that mirror, which is one of the things you said to me when we were newly ordained priests, which I thought was so helpful, um, because I, was, I had a number of wonderful lay friends, and you said something to the effect of, um, I bet you always look smart in, the, in that mirror. You didn't mean smart in yeah. terms of intelligent, but like put together well, and you've mm -hmm. got your cufflinks on, and your 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 cassock is ironed, or whatever the thing is, because the typically the faithful that you're friends with, they will see you as as an inspiration, um, and it's easy to look in that mirror and not see any of your faults. Whereas a true friend is hopefully presenting to you an accurate image of yourself on either side, whether you're tempted to believe you're more than you are or whether you're tempted to believe you're worse than you are. Mm. Uh, that's that's the beauty of friendship and certainly the beauty of, of married life, which is a kind of friendship, but I won't talk about friendship. No, we'll, we'll get back to that. I mean, obviously that's going to be a recurring theme. And then I'll, I'll correct you where your academics Thank go you. wrong. In, in, in real life. In real life. Okay. That may be, you know, in your ivory tower. That may yeah, work, my but, ivory tower friend. But down here in the in the mud of life, <laughs> I'll tell you how it kind of works out. All right, so before we go. Before we go. Uh, do you want to go first? Mm -mm. You want me to go first? Okay, so do yourself a favor. Make friends with a millennial, a 20-something. Mm. Watch them maneuver on a cell phone, a smartphone. Mm. I have had this experience. I was in a circumstance where I was thrust into it for a few days to be with one of our newly ordained guys. And I was sitting there. I'm thinking I'm hip and cool. I'm on my computer, my laptop. I'm typing away, doing all my work and keyboarding and the whole thing, a touchpad, a touch screen. He's sitting there drinking a cup of coffee and he's got a phone and a thumb. And I'm looking at him like, what, how could you possibly be? so productive with that don't you want a computer with a keyboard and like a mouse or a trackpad he said no this is so much easier and so i marveled at his ability to kind of thumb around on this thing which made me realize that there are a ton of things i am blind to on how to work my phone mm. because if it's that it can't be that he's so skillful it's got to be that he knows something i don't know so I learned a few things in my phone screen, smartphone interfacing. I'm in another league now. Oh. Oh, I mean, I, I need to learn more, but just being able to drop the cursor in the proper text <laughs> line and and being able to edit the text, which I'm always Your able to do. Your IT literacy went off the charts, uh, huh? I, I cannot, I mean, I, I, I want to I want to tell the whole world how to drop the cursor, okay. uh, which I can't really do it because I, I would mess it all up. But there's a way to do it, so you have total control. Mm. And there's so many of these things, but you know, it's like you just get into your habit. This whole tech technological world that evolves, they make all these fixes, improvements. But how are we supposed to know about it? I just know how to do it the way I was taught, and I move on, and I fight with the phone, and. Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> but then you watch one of these kids who was born with a screen in their hand no. and they just whip around on it and it's just jaw-dropping. It's, it's very easy to plant your flag in the technological world and say, I'm going here and no farther. Exactly. Yeah, and that's kind no, of No, you've got to, you, you just have to, you have to up your game. I'm a Luddite. Yeah, I'll, I, and I will pass along to you the things I've learned. Please do, please do. And I will summarily forget them and reject them. I want to show you one immediately after this. I want a piece of paper and a pen. I know, well, um, that's true. 
That being said, I don't have anything profound before we go, but I just one of those simple revelations in life for which I'm very grateful. Hiking for about five days and we covered many, 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 many miles and lots of vertical feet. I just looked down at one point and I thought, my whole life, these two little planks have been supporting everywhere I go. What a mm. glorious thing it is. It's a simple, silly thing, but I could not be more grateful to have something that we take for granted, which are just called feet. They bear the weight of our body every single day, everywhere that's we true. go. I thought you were talking about your chicken legs, but your, your feet, that's... <laughs> those of you wondering, though, that but, he's, he's not accurate about oh, that. Oh, those but little But the fact things. is, it's a something we, we probably don't give thanks to God for enough. <laughs> Is the glories of well to all the podiatrists out there? Reality, we are grateful. Because at some point they're going to go away from us. Well, that's true. And won't be ambulatory. So I'm, the freedom of movement is such a simple joy. Yeah. To be able to walk from here to there. No, so. to be a bipedal locomotor is no small feat, and to have imposable thumbs. I mean, you put it all this together, and it's it's. Well, a, that was you know that was Aristotle's other, other definition, right? Everyone knows his definition of man as a rational animal, but not a featherless biped. This <laughs> <laughs> is other definition. <laughs> anyway, God bless you all. All right. And we'll hope to talk to you soon. Ciao, ciao. Makes me wanna Thanks for listening to this episode of From the Rooftop. For updates about new episodes, special guests, and exclusive deals for From the Rooftop listeners, sign up at rooftoppodcast.com. And remember, for more great ways to deepen your faith, check out all the spiritual resources available at tanbooks.com. And we'll see you again next time from the rooftop. Mm-hmm.